You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Anybody, can you, I know it's on the screen, without looking on the screen, do, do you know what the, the, the mission statement is of our church? Anybody, just go ahead, just bravely just say it out. Let's see if you got it. All right, how many people cheated? All right, we have, we, we have an honest church. I'm glad that people are, are absolutely honest. So we say that our mission here as a church is to love God, to love others, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Around this mission, we have these four values, and this is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We said in week one that our number one value is we prioritize the gospel among everything. Everything. The gospel is the central point of everything. We don't do anything outside of that, right? So we would say that we are a gospel-centric church. We teach the scripture. We teach, as Paul said, we preach Jesus crucified, and he was crucified, and thank him, he was resurrected on the third day. Can I get an amen, somebody? So that, I, I like it on potluck Sunday. I feel like you're more filled with the spirit, and you want to talk a little bit. That's good. So we said in week one, we prioritize the gospel above all. In week two, we said that what we do is we make disciples, not just converts. Jesus never called us to make converts. What he did ask us to do was to go out and make disciples. And that means that we have to be intentional. We are on mission. We are finding people. We are sharing the gospel. We are sharing our story underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. Just this week, we had a, a conversation. Our, 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 uh, we had an interest meeting for our Jamaica team, and they went to this wonderful restaurant called the Caribbean Delight, and it's the perfect name because it is delightful. If you're looking for some good food that's different in Monk's Corner, hit up the Caribbean Delight. But I went in, and the owner is from Jamaica, and I was talking to him, pre, uh, trying to get some things arranged, and I said, hey, uh, are you cool if we bring a team of people in here? Because, you know, sometimes people get all uptight when you bring, like, large groups into restaurants. Anybody remember in youth group when you go on a youth trip, you want to stop in at the Ryan's in the big bus? Maybe you weren't on that side, but maybe you were one that were on a trip and you stopped at Ryan's and you saw the big church bus and you're like, you know, I ain't going here. So I wanted to make sure. And in the conversation, um, I found out he still has a home in Jamaica. We, we learned each other's names and we got to talking. And then um, the other night we had our meeting and he came out and he met everyone. And when everybody left, I had this conversation with him. And God started opening up some doors. He says, I can't believe that people would actually go back to my home and they would share the gospel. And they would give money and they'd give their time and they'd give these things to try to make, make the place better. Now, we've already made an impact in Jamaica and we haven't even left yet, right? That's a, that's a spiritual conversation. That was just a normal spiritual conversation. Well, did, did you lead him to Christ? No, but what we did was we planted some seeds for the Holy Spirit to water. So now what we need the church to do is to be the church and go support this guy, pray for this guy, and love on him like Jesus would. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit will save him in his time. And that's how we make disciples. Discipleship starts in that. So we say we make disciples, not just converts. Here's what we talked about last week. We send every member. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your gifting is. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called. You don't have to be uh, all knowledgeable and have all these things figured out. You have been called, and you find your identity in Jesus. And when you find your identity in Jesus and realize that I've been called, you realize that he will do what he says he will do, and he will equip you for every good work that he's called you to. Right? Doesn't that make you feel better? That I don't have to know it all. I don't have to have it all put together. I just have to be obedient and hear from the Spirit and be obedient what he tells me to do and do it, and he will equip me for even 
his good works. Now today is our last one. And this is our fourth value. And we say this, that we grow best when we are together. We grow best when we're together. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? Like we, we try to live life that's isolated. We lived, um, the whole 2020 pandemic, we lived isolated from people. Can't look at people. One of the biggest issues that they have found from a psychological standpoint with 2020 were, were the fact that even children couldn't recognize facial expressions at birth because we had masks on. They couldn't just read eyes. We can't read people's facial expressions. So we, we were never made for isolation. Isolation will get you in trouble real quick. Um, if you go watch, I love, and this may be morbid, but I love watching on YouTube Discovery Channel videos of lions running after the wildebeest. You notice they never go after the big herd. What they do is if they, if they, they surround the herd to get one of them isolated, and the one that's isolated, he better hope he can run or outsmart the lions because they've already set a trap. Isolation always leads to us getting caught in a trap. And, and when we're by ourselves, we, we, can, we convince ourselves that we're growing. We convince ourselves that everything is good. But let me just tell you that it's not because we were never meant to be in isolation. So we would say it this way, that we grow best when we're together. And so I, I think about um, recipes. I mean, how many of you, be honest, today was your first day ever cooking a chili or a soup for this potluck? Okay, good. You didn't test it out on us. Appreciate that. A couple of weeks ago, I'd never cooked chili before. I decided I had this big idea. I'm going to make some chili because I found a recipe online. So when you find it online, it automatically makes you a chef, right? So that's, that, was my, that was my thought. I had the apron. I had the whole nine yards. We're ready to go. Problem is, you got to follow the instructions as they're written. Not try to add your little flavor here and oh, I'm going to try these beans instead of this bean. Well, I grabbed the wrong beans. So I made a chili crunchy bean soup because you got to have the beans that have been in the can, not the ones that have been in the bag. Right? Yeah. The kids were like, mm, we're just going to go eat the ramen if that's okay. But they wouldn't even let me cook that. They cook their own ramen now too. So I guess I get it. I get it. But I would propose that there's a, a lot of times that we approach the Bible the same way we'd approach these recipe fails or these Pinterest fails is that we would we'll try something that doesn't ever look like the picture. And I think a lot of times the reason it doesn't look like the picture is because we try to insert our method into the method that God's already placed out in front of us. Well, I know God said this, but if I did it this way, if I just had this little caveat to it, I can make it taste a little better, make it look a little better, people love him a little bit more. And we, we always are trying to add our little bit of flair and the problem is we get frustrated because we, we're doing all these things, but we're not being fully obedient to what the Scripture says, and we get frustrated in the fact that we don't get the results, that, that the God results that we think we ought to be getting. Because the Bible says if I do this, I should get this result. But the problem is you're not doing this, you're doing this and some, and you're not getting the results. The picture and the taste is completely different. And so Jesus said that I will build my church. He said that I will build my church in the gates of what? Hell will not prevail. Y'all think I'm asking trick questions this morning. The gates of hell will not prevail. Here's the thing about gates. Gates are defensive weapons. I don't put up a gate for offensive. I put up a gate to keep things up. He will destroy the gates of hell. See, I want you to understand something this morning. The enemy is not on just the offensive. He is defensive against the church. 
because he knows this thing's done. He just doesn't want you to uncover the fact that God's already given you victory through the salvation that he's given you through Christ and his blood. So he has to put up gates to his kingdom. But let me tell you, there's a day that we're going to kick those gates down. And I believe every time that we share the gospel, every time we meet in a small group type setting, every time we talk about Jesus, he can't stand it because we're kicking gates down all over this town. You, you agree with that? Like that's what we've been called to do is to kick gates in. Kick the gates of the enemy in. And Jesus says that these gates, well, they won't prevail. So, so sometimes we think the church isn't winning in America, and, and, and a lot of times it's not winning in America because we have isolated ourselves and we have our own little subcultures. I remember growing up, um, you know, our, our church was really one of these that tried to protect everything from the world. We couldn't do anything of the world. Like, if you have non-Christian CDs, bring your secular music in, and we're going to destroy those CDs. Anybody do that? Man, I lost some good CDs when I look back on it. But there was this, I remember that we had this thing, CCM, it was Contemporary Christian Music. And I, I just remember, it's, it, it was trying to get you to like get rid of your CD so it can have another one. And it was say things like, hey, if you like um, ACDC, for instance, um, you should listen to Striper. Well, when you listen to Striper, it was obvious that the people that were telling you to listen to Striper had never listened to ACDC because they weren't the same, Right? If you like Tupac, you're going to love DC Talk. Uh, no. No. Because we were, what were we doing? We're trying to create these subcultures to insulate us. And you can't change the world if you're insulated into your own little pop subculture. So you can isolate not just yourself by yourself, but you can also isolate yourself as a body from everybody else and be out of touch. Now, this doesn't mean grace going wild. Go do what you want. Go listen to anything you want. Go watch anything. That's not what it means. But what it means is, is that we, we are against the systems of this world, not the people. Every person was made in the image of God. I mean, isn't that what he said in, in Genesis chapter, chapter 1 and 2 before it all went awry in chapter 3? He says, let us, make, let us make man in our image, a reflection of us. Every person that we encounter is a reflection of our Father. So when we look at the Scriptures... There's, there's a couple of ways that we have to, to look at truths from the Bible. One of those would be a, we have to look at direct commands. These direct commands are when Jesus says something that's very straightforward, like love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's a direct command. Do not murder. That's a, that's a direct command, right? Um, not have any other gods before me. All the Ten Commandments would be a direct command. But then we have to look at these other things, so we, we learn that way. The commands of the Bible, but then we also have to learn to look at the truths of what we would call an apostolic precedent. And what that means is, what did the apostles do with the things that were taught? How did they live those truths out? Like, we know what the direct commands are, but God is not specific about a lot of the things that we're dealing with today, specifically. But when you go look at the way the disciples and others in the scriptures live out the commands, we can start to develop some truths into those things, and we would call that an apostolic precedent. We, we say that because as we look at Acts chapter 2 this morning, I'm going to give you very quickly, hang with me, because you probably think pastor just said quick, and it ain't going to take long. He's probably lying. But very quickly, I'm going to give you 10 principles. Now you definitely think that I'm lying. And then I'm going to give you four things on top of the 10. So I've got 14 points this morning in just a few minutes. Bear with me. You good? The crock pots are on. We're ready. I know your kids are in here, and they're probably about to drive you crazy. It's perfectly fine. We don't mind kids. 
Acts chapter 2, there's 10 principles of the early church that they committed to to keep themselves out of isolation, but also when they were around each other, we see this principle happen. We grow better together. Matter of fact, our church gets its name from Acts chapter 2 because we believe in a church that is together, it is unified, it is growing together. Let me give you some backstory in Acts chapter 2. They're at the day of Pentecost. They've been waiting on the Holy Spirit. Jesus has promised them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit finally comes. They've been filled. Mighty wind is rushing the city and it's rushing the temple. They have weird things happening like fire above their head and they're speaking in different languages. And, and all this stuff is happening. And, and people are looking at the disciples and they look at the 12 apostles and they start to speak in other languages. They're like, whoa, what, this guy's speaking my language. What is he talking about? They have this fire, this wind. It's a weird thing. And here is their only conclusion. These guys must be drunk. They have to be. Because, they're, I mean, it's like they're just blabbing and all these things and they're doing all these things. It's just, just weird. So, they, so the Bible says that the, the 12 apostles were accused of being drunk. But, but I, love, I love what Peter says. We're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. So wait, Peter, time out. Are you used to getting drunk? Because that's a weird response. It's only 9 in the morning. And Peter said, we're not drunk. We are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, they had never encountered this before. The people had never known this before. They knew, the disciples knew that the Holy Spirit was coming. They didn't know when, they didn't know how. But Jesus said, oh, you'll know when he comes. They've only have had the Holy Spirit in them for a few moments, and they already have recognized what this was. The outsiders will always be confused at what's happening on the inside of you. Always. Always. But it's what happens out of our mouths that will interpret what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. And the Bible tells them that he begin, Peter begins to preach. He begins to tell the people to repent. This is a normal sermon that Peter would constantly preach. Is you need to repent. This is not good. You need to turn from your evil ways. You need to turn to Jesus. And they're doing this because the scripture said that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they're speaking from the Holy Spirit. So, so the question is, because he says that, and this will be for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So you receive the gift. He says, in this gift, this is for you, the disciples. This is for the people that were around, and listen to the promise. It's also for their children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So who are the all whom the Lord will call? Everybody, they were talking about us in the scriptures. It is talking about us. The promise that the Holy Spirit would come is for us and for the next generation and for the next generation. It, it is a promise that is multi-generational promise. So all this is happening because you can't have growth. You can't have spiritual growth. You can't have transformation. You can't have sanctification. You can't have any of these things without the Holy Spirit. It's like we said last week. You take the Holy Spirit out it's like taking the motor out of your car it's going nowhere and you can just sit there and convince yourself that you're just parked but you're not going anywhere even if you wanted to so we pick this story up in acts chapter 2 in verse 41 listen to these words so those who received his word were baptized they received they were baptized and they were added that day about three thousand souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together 
Say that with me. All who believe were what? No isolation. We do this, they're experiencing this together. So all who believe were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and they were distributing the proceeds to everybody as they had need. And I, I tell you, I've never seen a church just do that. Just, oh, okay, well, I'll just sell this. I'll just get rid of this. And it says that this was the, this was the moment that they just realized their generosity was above and beyond. If anybody's in need, just take it. Just take it. And it's okay, just take it. Because they, they knew that God would provide for them. They were to be the provision for someone else and God would provide for them. And it says that they... And day by day, they were attending the temple. They were attending the temple how? What's the word? Together. And they were breaking bread in their homes, which the moral of the story is, even at the church's very inception, the church was all about food. So there it goes. If you're asking why we do potluck, it's right here in the middle of the Bible. Our potlucks are better because unlike the Jewish people, we can have barbecue and it's all good. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. Now, let me ask you this question. It says they have favor with who? All people. Not some people, not just a couple of people. They had favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. They have found favor. They're fellowshipping. They're doing all these things together. The church is launched by the power of the Spirit. And there were ten things that mark the church in this. And let me give you these very quickly. Number one, these are ten practices of the first church. We're going to move quickly through these. Number one is baptism. They were committed to baptizing. They were baptizing people, and that's one of the reasons that we do baptism, because the Scripture shows us the example that Jesus had when Jesus was baptized. So we baptize people. So we have baptism. We want you to participate in baptism. If you've not taken that step, we want you to take that step in obedience. As a part of your walk with Christ is to faithfully walk out the decision to be baptized. Now this morning we've already had a baptism today. So can you just, can we pause for one second? But one of ours, Justin, has made a decision this morning. He was baptized right before the service. Can we just welcome him into the family through baptism this morning? We celebrate. That's what we do. We, 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 we disciple people. We get them in groups. And then we, we baptize. Because that's what we're commanded to do. So baptism was number one. Number two is doctrine and teaching. They were real big on doctrine and teaching. They were committed to the doctrine and teaching. And this is because your spiritual life is a lot like your spiritual, your physical life. It's a lot like it. Like it develops, our, our physical life develops by getting worked out. We have to work out. And what happens is when we have this shallow, anecdotal, pop psychology sermons, we start to develop really shallow spirituality. And it all seems good until life hits you and you don't know what to do with it because you've been working out with the 10-pound dumbbell spiritual weight instead of the 50-pound. And so when you get little bumper sticker theologies, that sound good and are quotable, but when life hits, those things don't stand. And honestly, a lot of those things that are being said today and posted out there don't even stand against the scriptures as they are. But we buy into it. And, and they were committed to that stuff. They were committed to what was being said. They were committed to what was being taught. Because it's important. 
Like we're, we, we are the safekeepers of the doctrine. We have been entrusted with the scriptures, and our job is to proclaim it as is. And so they, they were a lot of understanding that if we're going to grow as individuals and grow together, part of that growth means that we've got to be dedicated to doctrine and to teaching, not intimidated by it. I think a lot of times that we'll see theology stuff and we get super intimidated because we don't understand it. It's okay. How many, parents, how many of you 100% understood what it was going to be like being a parent before your child was born? Like we thought we did when we would see other kids in Walmart and going, mm, not when I have a kid. I can't believe they have that kid on a leash. And then you had a kid and you thought, huh, that leash might not be a bad idea. Right? We weren't intimidated about being parents. We learned. It's the same thing in the scriptures is that when you're a follower of Jesus, we're not intimidated by, by the things that are in there. We just learn. We become students of these things. And it's okay. It's okay not to know everything. Because here's, here's the thing. The thing that you don't know, there's somebody else in this room that does. So here's what I'm saying. I need you to be immersed in the scriptures because I need you to grow so it helps me to grow. And I need to be in the scriptures because I need to grow to help you to grow. Iron sharpens iron. They were way ahead of their time when they said that in the scripture. So our, our muscles grow under tension. And some of those times when we hit something in scripture and we have to wrestle with it, that's when we learn. That's when we grow, when we have to fight through it. Because the only thing to help us through tension is the spirit leading us to the answer. But we want easy, soft answers. And we want to cover it. This is what the Pharisees did. They would cover it with soft things. They would just make, they became so legalistic. And they would use the term we all the time. There ain't no we if you're not a part of what's going on. Amen? There's no we if you're not a part of what's going on. And they wanted to cast all this judgment. But we live under tension. That's where we grow. A couple of weeks ago, um, one of our guys in the men's group who didn't show up sent a question ahead of time to be answered. They wanted to know. And we thought we were going to be able to answer this question and quickly just move on to our study. We never did get to study because we wrestled with the question for the whole time. Like over an hour we wrestled with it. And, and it was frustrating because we couldn't come up with an answer. We kept coming back and forth. And I'm like, hey, we got to get through this book. We've been in 1 Corinthians for like 10 years it feels like. But we kept wrestling with it and wrestling with it and wrestling with it until the Holy Spirit started opening it up and softening it up and showing us some things. Now, we could have easily said, I don't know, go Google that. We got a study to do. But we wrestled with attention, and we all walked out of the room a lot stronger. And so it was, it was a beautiful thing. It was a frustrating thing. But don't be afraid of the tension in the doctrine and the teachings. Wrestle with it. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me right here? What, what is it that you're trying to get me to understand? So that was number two. Number three is a practice of authority. And I know this makes people nervous. I get it. So let me, let me say it this way. is that It's spiritual authority that is properly implemented. Spiritual authority that is properly in, um, in, in, uh, implemented. And we would go to Hebrews chapter 13 to show what true church authority is. We, we've got a lot of people out there that have abused that. So authority in our life is really important. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number four fellowship. This is not shake my hand fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. That's not the fellowship. They did that anyway. The true fellowship was the kind of fellowship that we're talking about here is this, this deep soul connectiveness of fellowship. You hurt, I hurt. You celebrate, I celebrate. I'm there. We're connected. 
I care for you. It's learning to see people in the image of God and treating them that way. Treating them in the commands of loving people the way that God loves them. With unconditional love, with grace, with mercy. So there's this, there's this fellowship of saying that I, I, have this, I have this connectiveness with you. When I pray for you, it's not just God just help them. It's like the spirit just groans within you to pray for them, to speak to them. It does your heart glad to be around them. This is a, this is a connectiveness that the Bible's telling us to have as a full body. Okay? Number five, we practice communion. The breaking of the bread, which was a meal, they really took communion to the next level. It's a meal, but for them, communion didn't look the way that we have it with, with little bread and little pieces of wine. They would not have these large gatherings where they had communion together like this and, 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 and then come up with the way that we would do it. Instead, their communion, they got together in their homes and they broke bread together in their homes and they had a meal and they, they talked about the meaning of what Jesus' blood was and his body being broken and they would have these conversations and not just have them, they would let it just come into every bit of their being and their fibers within them and live out in, in a changed thing because they would celebrate knowing what Jesus had did for them and they would never, ever walk out of that room talking about it and not letting it affect the way that they live every day. They were committed in practicing communion. Number six, they were prayerful. I don't think we give this one enough credit, but we have to be committed to getting on our knees and praying. Well, I don't know how. Our Father. Our Father. That's a good start. And just talk to Him. If, if, if you don't know what to say, go to your last text message to your best friend and just read it to God and see what comes out. Hopefully it wasn't an argument that you had. Just talk to him. He's not going, do you not know how to approach me and talk to me? Did y'all see the verse that it says that we approach him with confidence? We approach the throne with confidence. There is no condemnation in Jesus. He's not going to look at you and go, well, that's not the way you talk to me. Have a conversation with him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him that you love him. Tell him, what. hey, help me understand this. Talk to them. Be committed to prayer. Number seven, spiritual gifts. They were committed to figuring out what it was that God had put in their life that they were being able to do to advance the kingdom of God. If they could, if they could preach, they would preach. If they could, they were good at organization, could organize getting these widows and these orphans food, they, that's what they would do. They would find what it was that their spiritual gift was. What is it that God has put in my life that would help me live this out for the kingdom? Can I tell you this? Spiritual gifts are never, ever given for the edification of self. Because a lot of times people will say, yeah, my spiritual gift is this. And they'll, they'll turn that to make it look good on them. Spiritual gifts are never given for self-edification. They're always given for the edification of the people around you. To help other people. They're there to help us build one another up. And they're not all the same, which is good because we don't all have the same gift. But it's another reason why I need you to learn what your spiritual gift is because there's things that God has blessed you with that I need and there's things God has blessed me with that you need. And we sharpen iron again. Here's the eighth thing. Giving, sharing, and being generous. Giving, sharing, being generous. It went without saying, but there was never a conversation where they had to talk themselves into being generous. That they had to talk themselves into I need to give something. It was just a part of what they did. You couldn't call yourself a resident of the kingdom of God if you chose to not be generous, that was just not an option because the two are the same. We serve a generous God. We're generous people. We're generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. 
Number nine, meeting together. They met together day by day. Did you see that? They went to church every day. I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. They went to church every day in the temple courts and not just the temple courts. They also went house to house. <gasps> small groups are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. They were having early small groups. They met every day in the temple courts, and then they would meet in their homes in these small groups, and that's what we do. And it's like they, 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 would, they would meet together, and they'd have these conversations, and what would they do in these homes? Well, they would have fellowship. They would break bread. They would pray. They would take communion. These are the things that, that are happening. And it's, it was one of the practices. And this is why I think it's so important for you to be into a disciple group here together because it gets you around people who you can grow with. It, it gets you around people that will keep you from being isolated, okay? Number 10, praising God, singing, and worshiping. Praising God, singing, and worshiping. They did that. And there's another example of this in Acts chapter 4. You get Peter and John who are on their way to the temple. They're going to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man. The lame man says, hey, can you help me? He's begging alongside the road. And he asks for help. Peter says, I can't help you, but what I can, I don't have money to give you because he's a beggar. He says, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I can give you. Get up and walk. Now, this guy's been paralyzed for a long time. And he's asking for money, and Peter's going to give him something else. And he just commands him, like, hey, do you believe that if I told you to walk, you walk? No, he just commands it. Just get up and walk. And they say, get up and walk. And they wave, and they leave. And then we find Peter... We find them going to the temple, and they begin to pray. In the meantime, this guy gets up, and he's walking around like, oh, my goodness, let me go find these guys. You remember, they're at the temple praying. They run to the temple. They get to the temple. They begin making this big ruckus. They're like, listen, these temple leaders come over. They're asking what's going on, and Peter's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Let me preach my sermon again. By the way, you're, you killed Jesus. It was your fault, but he loves you anyway, and they arrest, they arrest them. They wanted to kill them. It didn't work. They ended up leaving. When they leave the prison, because they had been being prayed for, and people were praying, like, please let them be free. Please let them be free. And then they show up on the doorsteps of that house, and the people didn't even recognize them. They were crazy because they didn't realize the thing they prayed for was actually standing right in front of them. I think a lot of times one of the things that we do is, is we get to this point where uh, we don't know that God can move the same way that he moved in the scriptures. Because when I read this story, man, he moved walls. He, he moved, he set people free. And sometimes God does that and we don't even realize it. I want to be a part of a movement that is so desperate to see God move. So desperate that we don't talk about it, we do it. That we see every place that we step the sole of our feet. He's already said that every place that we step our feet, that we step in to a place that he's already given us, not for us and for our self-edification, but for his glorification. That I'm in this place because I'm going to declare it as Jesus is because I'm kicking gates in today. And, we, and, and this, is, this is part of our worshiping. The next time that you have an issue in your life, the first thing you do outside of prayer is you begin just worshiping God. Because your worship will drive away all problems. All problems. So, what about these other four? Because if you said there were ten practices, what are the other things? Because that's the list of the ten things they did. What I want to do is tell you that there are four things in that list of ten that you cannot do by yourself. Okay? You cannot do by yourself. So for all these practices that you can't do without a church family, here's number one. Authority. You can experience authority without a church family. A spiritual authority that is properly properly implemented, uh, impl implemented in the Hebrews chapter 13. You can't have that 
You can't have that outside of here. This is dicey. Our culture doesn't love it. We love independence. We don't want people telling us what to do. We, we like autonomy. We like self-sufficiency. We love these things. We really value those things. But at some level, those things are okay. But the problem is the Bible says that we, we submit to authorities. Oh, are you telling us we need to submit to you? No, what I'm telling you is I have to submit to authorities too. Now, who's our ultimate authority? King Jesus. You know who the head pastor is here? King Jesus. King Jesus. And so there's an authority piece. Here's the second thing. You can't do this unless you're part of the church, and you can't be part of the church family. There's a fellowship. You can't do that by yourself. It's hard to have fellowship by yourself. Unless you're really good at talking to yourself, it's hard to have fellowship by yourself. Anybody with me on that? Well, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Man, you're looking good. Oh, I know. You tell you, you lose some weight? Nope, put on some. Man, you still look good. Like, you can't have fellowship with yourself and not be, and if you do, then you're, you're going to have to go see a counselor. But we're designed to function in connection with other people. This is no surprise that through an entire pandemic in the last two years, the number one thing that has been spiking is depression and anxiety levels because we've pushed people away from people. The church is at a point right now where the spiritual temperature is so low because people have isolated them away from the very thing that they were created for, that we isolate. And no, I'm not saying that you, you felt like you needed to step aside for a couple of weeks because there were, there were some medical issues. I'm not, I'm not saying and judging those things. But what I'm saying is when you choose to isolate and never show back up to, to a body, when you choose that church online is, is church, church online is not church online. It's just watching it on TV. And you know good and well, watching it, you're not paying attention half time anyway because you're thinking about what's in the pantry. I'm telling you the truth because when we were live streaming, I was thinking about what was in the pantry. I didn't want to listen to myself speak on video. Let's be honest. No, don't. Don't. I'm not ready for that. We're designed to function in connection with other people. First John, he says that this is a message that we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we see that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice truth. But if we'll walk in the light, he's the light, and we have fellowship with one another when we're walking in God, when you're, listen, what he's saying is that when we walk in the light of God, we have fellowship with one another. You can't walk in the light and not be in fellowship. What am I saying? If you're not walking in light, you don't have fellowship with people. Don't fool yourselves. This is what John says. It's evidence that we're connected to God. This isn't about what we know about the Bible or how church works. Those things are important, but that's not the bottom line. It's how we're connected with each other. Because if we're all connected and we're the body of Christ, I am spiritually growing because I am with the people. I am with the people. I'm moving with the people. I'm learning with the people. We have to be in relationship with God to be in relationship with other people. You can't have fellowship by yourself. And it doesn't mean like, well, time out, Robbie. I'm just an introvert. I get it, me too. I don't like walking in the big stores. I, I try to walk the walls around the stores. I don't, there's, there's things about being groups of people, but what I've learned is that's not an excuse to live out the teachings of Jesus. Because if I'm like, I don't like talking to people, I'm relying on myself to have these spiritual conversations and not on the Holy Spirit to guide me. 
That might be a prayer for some of us. You're like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to people. I, I, I pray that God would break that for you too. I pray that you'd break that. And yeah, I know you need breaks from conversations because I'm the same way. I'll be around large groups of people. When I go home today, I just need to be away from people for about 15 minutes. I get it. But we got to engage in people. Because what it means is, is that when we, when we isolate, we don't connect with people, we're not able to be more genuine, we're not able to be more authentic, we're not able to be more transparent with people. And this is the proof that God's working in our life, is that when we practice this, it says that you can't, you, you, you can't say that you have a relationship with God if you're not going to connect with God's people. And, can, and I would say this, connecting with the right people, connecting with the right people who are going to lead you through scriptures that are, through, you know, not opinions, but through the scriptures. And they're going to guide you and not make their opinions. Okay, and you, you understand? Because this is a protection thing because you can get put into the wrong group that's not helpful for you. All right, number three. We're about to wrap it up. You can't practice without a church family the, the spirits, the, the, the spirits, ooh, spirit, without spiritual, you can't practice spiritual gifts by yourself. You can't. First Corinthians chapter 12 says this, that now there, there are a variety of gifts. We all have different ones, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers empowers them everyone and to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good you have I, mean, I told you last week you've been called today i'm telling you from first corinthians chapter 12 you have been gifted you've been gifted and and you can't you can't utilize these spiritual gifts outside of the body because you develop those gifts within the body there, this is it's the training ground so, so why was the manifestation of the Spirit given to you and me? It's for the common good. It is, it is for the good of everybody. God doesn't make me a thing or empower me to become a thing so that I can build my own kingdom. That's not what he's about. But what he says is that we have to consider how are we stewarding the reality of the gifts that God has given us? How do we steward those things? And are we doing this? I want to I, I be what God has made me to be, and that becomes a really important conversation because I, got, I, I need to know what my giftings are. I, I want to do what's best for you. I want you to, to tell me what it is in, it, in me and what you've called me to and how I need to develop those giftings. And not everybody has the same gift. And I look at some people that have gifts, I'm like, man, I really wish I had that. But I don't. But because I spend so much time worried about what somebody else has, I miss the very thing that God has for me. And I use it as an excuse because I can't do it that way. I'm not that gifted. I, I look at Cameron. He doesn't know I'm doing this. But Cameron, I'll hear him play guitar sometimes. And I've been playing a lot longer than he has. I mean, he's older than I am, about 10 years. But I'll watch Cameron play that guitar and play chords. And I'm thinking, how in the world? Because that's a, that's a gifting. My playing guitar is a hobby. I'm like, I don't want to play around Cameron because my guitar playing to Cameron's guitar playing sounds bad. But he's using his gift. And, and it's a struggle sometimes that we won't allow our gifts to be used because we feel like we can't do it as good as somebody else. So I just throw my guitar in the typical normal chord and you play sophisticated chord progressions and it seems to work for us. Find out what your gift is. 
We're all different. God's empowered us to express that difference. And the cool thing is what God does is he brings a church. He brings exactly the people he wants to a church to gift them in a very unique way to build its DNA so they can do what they've been called to do. Not every church should look the same because not everybody has the same gifts. But when you bring your gift into this place, we can figure out who we are as a church and what the DNA is, and we can go change the world with those gifts. We've been uniquely gifted. Hey, listen, we have been uniquely gifted, everybody. You, you believe that? Man, find out what you're good at. Go do it. Number four, last thing. You can't, you can't not meet together. You got to meet together. You got to meet together in, in the large body. You got to meet together in, in, in the disciple group model. You, you got to meet together. You, you can't do this by yourself. You can't meet together by yourself. So many people come to church, they don't come to church because they don't like it or they do like it, and very few people will ask the question, what does God want? What's the more important question? Not what you want in a church. What does God want? Does God even want me here? Because if he's gifted you and he wants you to use your gift, you've got to ask yourself, does he want me utilizing those gifts in here, in this place? You've got to decide that. You can't, you can't use that outside of here. And this is, I think this is critical for us. If we want to be the church that that God has called us to be, if we want to see God results, we have to be willing to be a part of what God's asking us to be a part of. I'm going to use a term that, that is going, some of you are going to have like a, a little spike, but listen, this is from the Greek language. You, you have to kind of be all in on this kingdom thing. You've you got to be married to Jesus. And you've got to love his church, whether that's this one or one down the street or one 50,000 miles away from here. You gotta love his church and you gotta love his people. And he has gifted you. And if you'll stick, listen, if you will stay in the gospel, he will do a work within you that will push you outside of what your comfort zones are. He will show you what your giftings are because you'll realize that you've been sent and you've been called. And you will begin having spiritual conversations with people because what he's doing in your life through the gospel, you can't hold back. And you'll see every conversation as an opportunity to have. And then you realize, hey, we do really grow better together, don't we? Because we do dumb things when we're by ourselves. Don't ever let a friend go buy a car without somebody. Because we'll be back on a 10-year payment plan at a 40% interest rate for a $10,000 car. You know what I mean? We just don't make good things. My challenge to you today, we're going to close right here. We're going to sing a song. We're going to close out. Get yourself in a group. Go to that welcome desk. Ask who, what group. You don't like a group? Come talk to me. Maybe we'll just start a group with you. Find out where your giftings are. You don't know? Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Let's help find your giftings. What, is, what does God want to do with you in this place? And I'm going to ask you this question because everybody wants to respond to this where, right where you are. Ask yourself, have you isolated yourself in any area that you're not together, you're separated from his body? Father, I thank you so much today for what you're doing in this place. I pray in these next few minutes as we respond, we sing, that you would just expose some things, teach us some things. And Lord, I just ask that, um, that we will understand that we grow better together. We learn better when we're with each other that you reveal things. And I just pray in these next few moments that you'll do that. And we pray all these things in your name. And we all said, amen.